0: Good morning. Welcome to Sanctuary. I'm Dan Baker. I'm one of the elders uh, here at Sanctuary. I've uh, been on sabbatical this uh, past year and I'm uh, glad to be back again and hopefully we'll be able to continue to participate and, and support uh, some of you, all of you that may need some support. Support Craig and the staff here, the team here. Uh, so it's, uh, it's nice, uh, nice to be back. The Pew Foundation recently uh, did a study. And this study showed that in the U.S. that in 2020, 64% of Americans were identifying as Christian. 64%. Now, another survey was done back in 1972... In 1972, there were 92% of Americans that were identifying as Christian. What is God saying? What is God speaking to his church? Perhaps there are many reasons as we would look and try to figure that out. Many folks are saying, well, church just isn't relevant to us today. There's none important that I'm hearing there. There's nothing that would keep me going there. A lot of our young people, I think, are saying, you know, my beliefs and my life, there's nothing for me in the church. Well, today, we're going to look and see what Jesus has to say to his church. The ecclesia, the called out ones. If you have faith in Christ, then you are part of the church, his church. And when I refer to church today, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is the Big C Church, but also you and me and sanctuary, but a lot of my comments will be about the church, the Big C Church. So if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to the book of the Revelation of John. Now, perhaps... The book of the Revelation hasn't been a book that you've thought a lot about or you've studied or spent a lot of time in. Sometimes it can be uh, pretty confusing. But Jesus is speaking to John and wants John to relay through a letter a message to seven churches. So if you would, let's begin there in Revelation chapter 1 and let's read uh, verses 1, four, sorry, 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's jump to verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, It was on the isle called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, "Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea." The time frame is around 96 A.D. And John has been put on this island in the Aegean Sea called Patmos. It's a very rugged, rocky place. And there are many different things that John is going to bring out in the book of the Revelation. There are many things there that may be difficult and, and hard to understand. When you think about the new heaven and the new earth, when you think about perhaps like the new Jerusalem coming down, you think about the rapture and all those different things, Well, one of the themes that you see here is worship. John is in a place of worship. And as he's worshiping, the Spirit speaks to him by Jesus, the words to send these letters to these seven churches. Now, most of us today, we probably don't know much about letters. Letters. We don't write, we don't send letters too much anymore. When my wife and I were dating in our early dating life. She went away to school before I did, and almost every day she would send me a letter. Didn't have the communications that we have today. We didn't have the texting or the cell phones, or, you know, very rarely did we ever even talk on the phone. We communicated through letters. And I would look so forward to going to the mailbox. And get in that letter. That letter was very special. It had meaning to it. It it, it had something there that I was desirous to hear. What was going on? And you know, oftentimes, I would jump to the close of the letter to see if she said, I love you. And if a letter didn't come, I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. wonder what's going on. wonder why I didn't get a letter. Two days ago, oh, I didn't get a letter. Well... Some of us got Dear John letters, didn't we? Fortunately, she stuck by me and continues to do so. But I don't know that these churches were going to be real happy and look forward to the letters they're going to receive. Jesus has some really good things to say to the churches, but also he has some things that are very difficult. Some things that they need to do, some things that they need to think about, some things that they need to change. It's an invitation to those churches to hear Him and respond to Him. God is speaking to the seven churches and He's also speaking to us. And as He speaks, He speaks with authority. He admonishes and He invites us to action. I'm going to show you a map here real quickly of the seven churches where they're located. In Asia Minor, this is modern-day Turkey. You see Patmos down there, the little red there down to the left. You see Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Ephesus is most likely the mother church. A lot of these churches aren't necessarily mentioned in Acts, but we know Ephesus, Paul spent a great deal of time there. John, he spent time there. And these other churches were probably offsprings from the church at Ephesus. This, again, as I said, this is modern-day Turkey. You've probably heard of Turkey this week. A number of earthquakes have occurred there. Some 20,000 people perhaps died in Turkey and Syria. We have a family from our church there, the Leonard's, and hope you will remember to pray for them. Uh, They're ministering there in Turkey. But Turkey was was a place that John was wanting to get the people, the churches, to understand the authority of the Word of God, the authority of Jesus. So God's voice to the church, first of all, it is authoritative. We know that all scripture, Paul told Timothy, is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to good works. We're going to see that as Jesus presents himself to John, there's some Christology, some attributes of Jesus that we'll see that Jesus wants the church to understand. And those things are built upon the authority of Jesus as he speaks. This is the resurrected Jesus who is in heaven, who's on the throne with his, with his Father. And so he is speaking with ultimate authority. So let's begin by looking at these attributes, beginning with the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.1. To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This speaks of Jesus' power. It speaks of his presence, his omnipotence, in his omnipresence, his omniscience, he knows, he sees, he understands. And he holds these seven stars in his right hand. We're not sure exactly when he's referring to these seven stars. There's many different people who, who, who have different thoughts about those seven stars, who they are. Most would, would agree that these seven stars are perhaps the bishops or the elders, the pastors of those churches. So Jesus is saying, I have those people in my right hand. Those lampstands, that's the churches. And so he is speaking with power because he is present there. He sees, he knows, and he understands what they're going through. And notice how he speaks to Smyrna in verse 8. He says, And the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and has come to life. This pictures Jesus as the eternal. Jesus had no beginning, nor will he have an end. He has always been. It is, he is eternal. He also is resurrected and he is living. Jesus today is alive. He is living. He is at the right hand of God the Father. And as he is speaking to these churches so long ago, he also, I believe, would want to speak to you and speak to me to speak to us as a church, to speak to the church throughout the world because He has things to say to us. And we want to hear the voice of God to hear what God has to say to us. And my prayer today is that we might, as a congregation, as believers in Christ, as a church sanctuary, that we would hear clearly what it is that God would have for us to hear from Him. Pergamum, This is chapter 2 in verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. This is a repeat from chapter 1 verse 16. Jesus is the incarnate word speaking to Pyrrhus the soul. You know, the word of God is, is given to us not just to make us feel good and to encourage us. It does do that, right? But also, it's to cut deep within our soul. To help us to be transformed, transformation takes place as the word of God begins to cut away those things in our life that does not please Jesus. And so Jesus is wanting them to understand, I have authority, and I want you to understand that I am the sword that wants to cut and remove from you that cancer or those things that are, that are keeping you from being faithful to me. Notice what Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says. The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active. Living and active. That's present. Living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. That's this word that we hold before us. How does God speak to the church? How does he speak to us? It's through his word he speaks. And no creature is hidden from his sight. He's omnipresent, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Whoa! You mean that God is still going to expect us to give some account? I'm afraid he is, beloved, he is. So let the word of God pierce you. Let it pierce me that we might understand. God, what is it? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to us as a church? Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, our Tyra. The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is affirmation of Jesus that he is the Son of God. He is God incarnate in the flesh, and he has eyes like a flame of fire. This depicts Jesus sees and purifies his bride, the church. The word of God, as God speaks to us, it purifies us. The sword of the Spirit, it cuts deep within us, dividing what we need divided so that we can be transformed to the image of Christ. Feet like burnished bronze. Bronze was burnished by putting it in the fire. Jesus is the pure one. Jesus is the one who is speaking with this authority to present his church pure, holy. And as his church, we need to receive that. The invitation is for us to receive what he has done for us. And he's speaking to us with authority that we might make the change that he would ask of us. Philadelphia. I'm sorry, Sardis is in Revelation 3.1. To the angel of the church of Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God, theologians would discuss and not quite understand what he's referring to the seven spirits of God we believe I believe that he's talking about the Holy Spirit the holy the word seven or the number seven John uses throughout the book of the Revelation seven lampstands seven spirits seven trumpets and seven is always the idea of completeness and I would say that the the message that Jesus has to these churches Is that there are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, that he is complete. That he is all that we need, you need, as a church, to hear what you need to hear. He's the revealer of truth. He came at Pentecost, and he wants to continue to reveal the truth of of the word of God to us, as his people, as his church. The seven stars... Are the angels of the church? There are several interpretations of this as well. Angel means messenger. Some believe that they were guardian angels that the church had been given. Most likely, they were probably the bishops or the pastors of those churches. But those men, those women, were in the hand of Jesus. You know, and I hope that you know, as you look at our elders, I understand we're not perfect. Understand that Craig's not perfect. The staff here aren't perfect. But I, I believe that we are trying to do what we can do to understand what Jesus is saying to us and to the church here where we sit today. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, he says to the church of Philadelphia, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. And opens, and no one will shut. And who shuts, and no one will open. This is making reference to the Old Testament. Jesus, as the Messiah, who is and has the keys of the kingdom. And when he has the keys, he has the ability to open it. And when he opens something, no one can shut it. He is all powerful, he is omnipotent. Because he's omnipotent, he has the authority. To use his power within our lives and certainly within the church. He is the Messiah. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. The Laodicean church, the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. Jesus is the God of truth. Jesus is the faithful one. Jesus is eternal Jesus is God's faithful, true witness. The next place that we want to spend a little bit of time is not only does Jesus speak with authority, but when Jesus speaks, he speaks to admonish us. To admonish us. The definition of admonishment is authoritative counsel or warning a piece of advice recommendation guidance counsel or encouragement so we know that as jesus admonishes us that he has certainly the authority to do so but he wants to do so that we can be transformed that he will change us that he will purify his bride the church jesus will say eight times to the church i know the original word that's used here is oida. It emphasizes the absolute clearness of mental vision of which photographs all the facts of life as they pass. See, Jesus has complete clearness. He sees it all because he's on the present. He sees me today. He sees you today. He knows exactly what's in our thoughts, what's in our minds, what's in our hearts. It cannot be hidden from him. And so he says, I know, I have that clarity, I know. And so when Jesus says, I know, there's no way we can hide from him. There's no place we can go in the universe that he does not see us, that he does not understand where we are and what it is we're doing and what it is that we need. So in these admonishments to save some time, I made a summary that we'll put up on the screen here. He admonishes each of these churches. You see it there in Ephesus. He says to Ephesus, you have patient endurance. You can't bear those that are evil calling out false prophets, apostles. You have perseverance. All those are great things, right? But then what does he say? But you have abandoned your first love. You know, sometimes it's in, a, in the church, it's easy for us to be doing a lot of things Right? And sometimes we say, you know, we're doing all this stuff right, which is good. But you can do a lot of things right and still lose your first love. You can do a lot of things and still not be doing it because you love Jesus. And i faith, a lot of times that's where I end up, doing things not because I love Jesus, but because, well, it's expected. I mean, Dan, you got to go do it. Well, yeah, I guess so. And it's easy to get to that place where We lose our first love. Smyrna, do not fear what you are about to suffer, prison and tribulation. Not only that, but there were going to be some folks in Smyrna that were actually going to die. They were going to be persecuted, and they would end up giving their life because of their belief in Jesus. Pergamum, you did not deny your faith in me. Yay. You hold to the teachings of Balaam. Eh, not so good. Eat food, sacrificed to idols, and commit sexual Sexual immorality. And some hold to the teachings of the Nicolothians. Wow. You didn't deny your faith, but man, there's some other things there, right? You know, you can live in the faith, not deny your faith. You can say, hey, I'm a Christian. But there's some other things that perhaps we may enter into that don't show that we're a Christian. Thyatira, they had good works, love, faith, patience, and endurance. But you tolerate Jezebel calling herself a prophetess. And she's teaching and seducing Jesus' followers to practice sexual immorality and to eat food offered to idols. They had good works. But yet, there were things in the church at Thyatira that Jesus said, I know your works. I see what's going on in the church. And now you need to hear my voice. Because I am all-knowing. The Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive. Oh, but you're dead. Wow. You're dead. Philadelphia. to This church, he says, I'm sitting before them an open door. They kept Jesus' word and haven't denied his name. They have patient endurance. And Jesus said, I have loved them. Laodicea, you are neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. You think you're rich, but you're poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Wow. You're not cold or hot. You're you're sort of in the middle, like, you know. Interestingly enough, Laodicea's water, some of it came from a warm spring and some of it came from a cold spring. And when that water got together, what was it? Lukewarm. Do you like to drink lukewarm water? Probably not. Probably not. And Jesus says, You know, you're not cold. If you're cold, maybe I can really deal with you. You're not hot. Man, you're just lukewarm. You're sort of just passing through, you know, just kind of, yeah, going about life. Just everything's cool, everything's good. Jesus has a word to say. You think you're rich, but you're poor. You're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. Now the invitation or the application to action. Notice what he says, and he says it to all of the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He has an invitation for us to hear to listen, to hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. That word here is used some 54 times in Scripture. and It means that it always invokes a need for deeper understanding, reflection, and a significant action required. Jesus invites us to make some change because of the Word of God speaking to us. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants change to take place. So five of the seven, the Spirit says, repent. Repent is in the imperative tense. It's an urgent appeal for instant change of attitude and conduct. In Ephesus, it was to remember where you have fallen and do the work you did at first. In Pergamum, repent from holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans. In Sardis, wake up to the fact that you are dead and repent. Laodicea, understand you're spiritually needy. You're not rich. Understand your condition you're really in. Thharatara, there was a certain segment that were holding to the Jezebel's teaching. They were to repent, but others had to be rejected. They were to hold fast. As we go deeper into this idea of repentance, repentance is used some 75 times in the Bible both the Old and New Testament. Notice if you would, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Speaking, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. See, Jesus and John's message is a message of repentance. And I'm afraid in our day today, in our society today, we're not hearing much about repentance. There are some that believe that, you know, faith, yes, faith, but faith and repentance go hand in hand. You don't have faith without repentance. You must repent. You must say and agree with God that, yes, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. And then turn to Jesus by faith for salvation. Let us also, a verse that he that Paul uses in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? To repentance. God's kindness, his grace, his mercy is to lead us to repentance, to agree with him to understand where we are spiritually and not be satisfied. Not to just pass through this life saying, you know, it's okay, it's all right. Whatever God is speaking and how he speaks, we need to respond. We have the invitation. You know, there's a danger sign, I think, in the church. And it is that what I talked a little earlier, the, it began with the apostolic fathers believing that penitence, penance. penance that's the thing that people need to do. And it wasn't until the Reformation that we began to, the church began to understand more about justification by faith. And Martin Luther pa- posted his thesis on the church door. It was all about justification by faith. But we tend to swing either to repentance or penance, penance or to faith. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. And as Jesus would speak to us with the authority, he would invite us to repent. If there's things, those things we talked about, if those things might be perhaps in our life, we need to what? To repent. To repent. To agree with God. Yes, this is wrong. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me of this sin. He says also, be faithful. The church is Smyrna. They were experiencing tribulation, and some of them were going to die. But he tells them, be faithful. To Thyatira in Philadelphia, they were told, hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let go. There's all these other teachings coming in, but you hold fast. And perhaps some of us today, that's what we need to do. There may be things that pressures in life, and Jesus is saying, hold fast. Don't give in. Don't compromise. Don't fall into that rut. Hold fast. Hold fast. Jesus also uses some covenant language in this passage. He says, the one who conquers. Conquer can also be translated overcomer. The original word means we gain a surprising or surpassing victory through the one who loved us. He wants us not to stay where we are. If he's speaking to us, we're not to stay where we are. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us. And that is done through repentance. It's done through repentance. And he says, I want you to be an overcomer. I want you to be a conqueror. And if if we do that, he says, I will. That covenant language is used throughout the Bible. God the Father saying, I will. Jesus saying, I will. If you are an overcomer, if you conquer, I will. And I believe he's saying the same thing to us as a church today. As he speaks to us, we change, we implement the invitation he gives us. I will bless you. I want us to look in closing at Romans 8, 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Whoa! He's speaking and he's interceding for us right now in heaven. But also there's invitation for us. If he's speaking to us about change, to implement that change. And maybe that change is to repent. Maybe that change is to continue to hold fast. Don't compromise. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation... Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what it is we're going through, that cannot separate us if we are in Christ. We are blessed in Christ. We are justified by his blood. we receive received a remission for our sins if we have repented and had faith in Christ. But be assured that he also wants us to, to change if his word is speaking to us. The word is powerful. It's sharp. And as it comes to us today. I trust that if God is speaking to you. That you would understand what he's saying. And do what it is that he might be asking you to do. You know as we close. Before I pray. Uh, there will be those today who are in the different four corners. That. We'll be able to serve you communion if you feel that God would have you do that today. Also, there will be some back here that if you would like for someone to pray with you, uh, they will be there to pray with you. There's probably some just sitting around uh, next to you that would be more than happy to pray with you too. After the service today, you know, the folks, the leaders here will be around. If uh, you need someone to talk to, uh, someone to pray with you, uh, we will be more than glad to do so. We thank you for coming, and I pray that God would lead you to do what he is speaking to you. So we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that in Christ we have been justified, that we continue to be sanctified by your wonderful work in us through your word. Your word is truth. Father, thank you that it's also authoritative, that it's given to us to repute us, to rebuke us, to purify your church. Father, if we are here today and we need to repent, Father, help us to see that that is something that, that you love, that you want, that you desire. And Father, may we do so. You tell us that I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and going to open the door, I will come into him and eat with him, dine with him. Father, we thank you that you desire that relationship that time that we just enjoy your fellowship, just being together with you. But Father, also help us to understand that if we're out of fellowship, perhaps the thing that we need to do is to repent, to hear your voice as you spoke to those churches so long ago. Father, speak to us this day for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.